everyone. I'm Dr. Rosie Sender, and we are on season three of the Medical Matrix podcast. Uh, my regular co-host, Dr. Erica Fisk, uh, is not able to join today, but we'll be back for our future episodes. Today's guest is Chris Howard. He is the founder and CEO of the Soft Tech Venture Studio, and he's a serial entrepreneur and investor. Welcome, Chris, and thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Rosie. Happy to be here. So for everyone out there, um, I met Chris earlier this year. Uh, so Dr. Faisal Mirza, Manu Chatterjee, and I all co-founded a company called Kinesi. And we were part of the Soft Tech Venture Studio Accelerator Program. And we really got to know Chris's entrepreneurial journey in the tech world. And I thought it was a great story to share. So I, I think it would really help people who are thinking about starting a business, who are going through the process to hear about his journey, including all the good and all the bad times <laughs> and, and some of the times in between. So, um, so Chris, I'm going to open it up to you and, you know, maybe uh, you can tell everyone a little bit about your background uh, to start and then we can just go from there. Yeah, sure. No, thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, my background, I, uh, I came to Houston to go to school for electrical engineering back in the 80s, mm -hmm. ancient history, um, and then uh, was there at the beginning of the PC industry, right? So um, I was a co-op at uh, University of Houston co-op. There's an internship program. So I got a, uh, a position at IBM down at NASA, IBM supporting this, the space shuttle program down there. Um, and they weren't the PC division. But uh, okay. <laughs> uh, I remember <clears throat> getting there. I really wanted to work for IBM because I thought, well, hey, as an electrical engineer, uh, this would be great to have on my on my resume, right? And so mm -hmm. um, I, uh, I I I got the job, got down there, and there was this PC in the hallway, IBM PC one, right? You know, very mm -hmm. first PC, and I remember, um, you know, it's for the whole department, and there was an engineer, and he joked, "Hey, why don't you become an expert on that thing?" Right. And uh, I thought that was a great idea. And after a week or two, I'd convinced my manager to let me take the department's PC and put it on my desk because I didn't want to sit out there in the hallway. Right. And uh, that's when I really learned that the expert was the guy who actually read the manual. Right. Okay. So okay. because I read and knew everything about it, um, <clears throat> the other IBM engineers you know, would come to me and start asking me questions. And then, of course, there started to be more and more computers and this is back when uh, the PC was like no hard drive. It mm -hmm. had two floppy drives and a monochrome display. So it was really, really the first PC that was available. <clears throat> but I'd already, I'd already taught myself basic in junior high. And so I knew enough about basic and never had my own computer mm -hmm. for, and I just started learning everything I could about it. Um, and then, uh, it was great working there, a lot of experience. Uh, it was before the internet, right? Mm -hmm. IBM had an internal network that was similar to the, the, what the internet is now, where you could actually go and ask and learn and yeah. use programs and share. And so I made good use of my time, I actually stayed there two and a half years. And then at some point um, decided, you know, hey, I could, I could make more money being a consultant. Right, because right. um, okay. everyone was look, starting to look for ways to to do programming and needed people to do it. So I, this doctor came along and had an interesting project for me uh, and <clears throat> convinced me to quit my job at at IBM. Um, mm -hmm. 
by then I had a family. I had two, two small children. I think I might've had one more on the way and I was putting myself through college. And so my family thought I was crazy. <laughs> In true entrepreneurship fashion, you're like, why would you quit a job yeah. at IBM? You know, right. that's like the pinnacle company. That would be like the Microsoft of the day back then or whatever, right? right? You know, yeah. uh, uh, and, and, you know, you've got a family, you're quitting your job, you know. But my opinion was, well, IBM was very like welcoming there. I was supposed to alternate semesters anyway. And I wasn't really, I was just going to school. I was working during the day and going to school at night instead of mm -hmm. alternating. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, so then took the plunge, took mm -hmm. the plunge into essentially entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> this was a project where the idea was, you know, they'd thread uh, a sensor up through a catheter in someone's leg. So 16 sensors up through uh, uh, the vein and, and, and like up into the heart, mm -hmm. surround the heart with 16 sensors. And then the idea was to do analog to digital conversion, display the signals in real time on a high resolution graphics display and write the data again in real time to a write once read mostly optical cartridge drive. Mm -hmm. And both involve some hardware because I had to source ADD cards and high res graphics cards and worm drives. These were not standard components of PC. So looking back, you know, 35 years later, what 30 years later, this, this would be a technical project even today. Right. right. Yeah. And that's really what formed the basis of, you know, for me to, to start SoftTech many years later was, you know, my interest in what I call technical software development, which mm -hmm. is projects like that. And so, um, but yeah, definitely, definitely a roller coaster. Um, <clears throat> and I could talk all day about this, but yeah, okay. the, I don't know uh, if you want me to, to continue rambling on, but you know, the, 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 I described my journey as a roller coaster, mm -hmm. right? And there's a lot of ups and downs. So that was an up to get a contract, make more money. I was able to work from home, right? Mm -hmm. So I didn't have to commute all the way down to NASA and go in back again. I could be close to my family, you know, which sounds familiar nowadays, yeah. right? Yeah. But this again right. was, was like 35 years ago. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> And I told him, well, I'll quit my job, but you have to pay me a month in advance and you have to give me a month warning. Mm -hmm. But after about a month, he actually gave me my notice. Oh, <laughs> so oh no. I, I was thinking, well, here we go. Now, now I feel like an idiot. Everyone right. that was warning me about this, you know, I quit my job. I'm, yeah. I've, uh, uh, now I've got 30 day notice after a month in. And the problem really was um, the doctor. First of mm -hmm. all, he wanted me to write it in Fortran because he knew Fortran, but I said, okay. no, you needed to write it in C. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, do you know C? And I said, well, no, but that doesn't change my mind. It has to be in C. You got data acquisition, high-res graphics, you know, mm -hmm. you, you need to do, you need to write it in C. Well, he didn't see enough visual progress, right? Mm -hmm. So right. this was all a lot of, like I was assembling the hardware, I'm getting third-party stuff in, trying to do drivers, trying to get stuff set up. And 30 days isn't enough time to do all of that. But he's right. like, hey, I, I think I'm throwing my money away because I don't see any progress here. And so what I decided to do was create a demo, like spend, you know, instead of going to look for a job immediately, you know, I'm, yeah, I guess right. I am an entrepreneur, right? I'm like, right. well, I'm still going to take a swing at this. So I thought, mm -hmm. you know what? I need to show this guy something visually. Mm -hmm. So I took two or three weeks and just worked on a demo, mm -hmm. you know, where I took a sine wave converter for the analog signals and got the, 
acquisition going, got the display going, got the writing going. And it's like, imagine for a second, we're done. You know, we're not done, but let's imagine we're done. This is what it would look like. Mm -hmm. And thankfully that sold him on the idea. Right. And okay. so then we continued the project, you know, he went and his, his company was successfully got acquired later. I mean, I worked on it for another six or nine months or something like mm -hmm. that. There was a patent on how we were doing the measurements and everything. And so it was very, very interesting project. My, but my lesson learned is that sometimes with customers, you, you have to maybe spend some time on the visual part because they don't understand to see what progress looks like under the hood. Right. How many lines of code you wrote, stuff like that. I don't know if you've run into that, but um, yeah, I think that's one of those. I, I would agree with that. I think sometimes you have to take the imagination out for the customer. Right. Sometimes we what we think is obvious mm -hmm. and what we think when we when we describe our product, it doesn't necessarily mean that your customer or your or an investor or understands what that looks like especially if it's not their sort of area of expertise or their mm -hmm. or their field so so building out that demo or showing them somewhat close to the end product it helps take that imagination out for them and i think and and hopefully can give them a better idea of what you're trying to create so i yeah. you know i agree i've kind of kind of run into this issue as well so well <laughs> so it's customer familiar. you know of course it was my first customer first time yeah. consulting and I didn't yeah. realize just like you said it's about setting expectations right so mm -hmm. I I didn't know I needed I thought I had months right mm -hmm. to like yeah. I'm gonna be building this thing I'm be giving them his reports but you know um it's it's about setting the expectation of how long this stuff's gonna take mm -hmm. where are we gonna be in two, three, four weeks, where are we going to be in another month? You know, is this mm -hmm. a six month project? What's progress after two or four weeks, right? Mm -hmm. um, right. And that's a big part of also what we have to do at, at, at SoftTech is mm -hmm. set those expectations. And so that um, you don't run into those problems further down the road mm -hmm. and you're all on the same page of where you are on the project and what you're delivering. So, mm -hmm. um, so do you think that was one of the biggest lessons you learned out of that company, you know, just uh, uh, showing that visual or showing that product to a customer or, or at least a close replica of it? Is that, do you think that, or do you think there was something else you learned from there that um, was more important? Yeah, no, I mean, definitely that. Um, I, I wouldn't say that you always have to spend time doing a demo, but I mm -hmm. think like in the startup world, this is kind of part of the point of why you would do like a proof of concept mm -hmm. or an MVP, you know, and a proof mm -hmm. of concept is, is really more like a demo to show both investors and <clears throat> potential customers what a solution might look like at a very minimal level or um, what the usability would be like or that the technology is even possible to begin with. Right, mm -hmm. without actually going through the effort of spending hundreds of thousands or a million dollars on trying to build it out and getting that far down the road and not being able to deliver. So <clears throat> I do think it was one of the defining moments for me, at least working with customers. Mm -hmm. Maybe also a little bit of a peek into what an entrepreneur life might be <laughs> like, you know, yeah. because it's not for everyone. I mean, mm -hmm. as an as a as an entrepreneur, you're responsible for you know, you, payday is, is not the day of like, oh, great, today I get paid. You know, mm -hmm. it's more like, oh, my gosh, I've got to make payroll Friday right. for, you know, 10 people, 100 people, 500 people. Right. right. <laughs> and it's yeah. all on you 
really to, to make sure that happens because your your own um, employees are counting on that, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, that is one thing that I've been proud of, especially at Softec. Twenty five years of never missing payroll. You know, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's it's not easy. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so some people like to have that safety net and comfort of going to a job and always having that paycheck and going home and relaxing. And mm-hmm. I'm an entrepreneur. There's there's really not any uh, you have. Re- I wouldn't say there's no relaxation. You just have to be very conscious about how you do it and how you take care of yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and how you manage that stress level, because there mm-hmm. I was, you know, I've got a family. I've got young children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, my job's on the line and, yeah. you know, <clears throat> should I run back to IBM from the minute he gave me my notice or, mm-hmm. you know, I took the decision to, you know, uh, double down and mm-hmm. say, I think I can make this work. And that's part mm-hmm. of that grit that everyone points to on, you know, um, that, that grit and determination is really one of the leading indicators of whether you're going to be successful or not. You know, it's the, mm-hmm you know, every it's, it's, it's success is, is standing up one more time after getting knocked down. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and so yeah. you get knocked down multiple times and that's the roller coaster part. And you have to, you know, part of me that helps me like the stress level is just thinking, okay, here we go. Let's put our hands up. Enjoy the ride. Cause we're going down right now. <laughs> you know, and so, you know, a philosophy that when one door closes, another opens, like what's the opportunity in this situation? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's happened to me many, many, many times over my career and my company history, you know, Mm. later it was like, well, losing a customer that was 85% of my business. Right. And, um, that's one of the, and and losing them over the holidays, right. It's always fun, you know, Merry Christmas, (laughs) enjoy your Christmas. (laughs) January, uh, you've got a you an eighty five percent hit to your revenue, right? Oh, fantastic! Girl. So, yeah. um, and how do you how do you deal with that? And right, uh, and so I'd say looking back on even those situations, you know, it that it feels bad at the time, but looking mm-hmm. back, it was actually one of the best things to happen to me in my business was losing that customer. Mm-hmm. Because I had like golden handcuffs with them. They had me locked up. I was hostage. I really had very little ability to negotiate, you know, Mm -hmm. contracts because they knew that they were the big gorilla for me. And I couldn't grow my business fast enough to like minimize their percentage. They just kept constantly growing as fast as I could grow the rest of the business. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, stepping back from it and saying, well, Hey, I've got, now I have 100 people mm-hmm. that are experienced in a specific technology that I could immediately apply to somebody's project. This is an asset. Now it's mm-hmm. not actually a, a liability that I have to find work for these people, which I do, but who else needs this team? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so then after six months, when the contract actually ended, because I mm-hmm. had put some steps in there as a wind down, so they couldn't just immediately you know, cut me off. I had uh, every employee was busy and, and I had three different contracts then, and I was hiring as fast as I could. Right. So that's okay. that roller coaster turnaround, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're like, you know, that gut wrenching drop, but then mm-hmm. stepping back and going, okay, what do I need to do to, to solve this? Mm-hmm. 
if you're not an entrepreneur at that point, you just throw up your hands or you curl up in a ball and cry in your bed and right. you know, shut the business down. That's one, eff- yeah. that's one, one effort. Right. Um, the other effort is, well, how do I, I, maybe I need to hop on a plane and go to Korea and find a customer. Right. Right. Um, right. What, what and I so did. that was, that was the next, that was the next uh, um, opportunity then uh, going to Korea. Yeah, I mean, that's what I did. I just looked and see like who could potential customers be. And I actually had three people competing for the resources that I had to offer. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> I mean, the, I, there was quite a bit of time between these two events, but I'm just right. saying that it it doesn't change. You know, mm-hmm. maybe the, the magnitude can change uh, mm-hmm. of, of what you have to, the hill you have to climb over. But, you know, I can point to, you know, 10 of those different situations where, you know, um, you know, they, they looked bad, but then in the end it turned out good. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and, and all businesses are like that and you need a little bit of luck, right? Sometimes Mm -hmm. you don't get it, Mm -hmm. but you know, if you look at blockbuster trying to look at Netflix, trying to sell the blockbuster and getting turned down, you know, I'm sure the plane ride back was very (laughs) depressing, but if they had really sold the blockbuster for 50 million, they, w- they wouldn't have a multi-billion dollar company right now. So, you know, that was actually turned out to be a good thing or, mm-hmm. or Google trying to sell the Yahoo for a million dollars. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they didn't even know what they had. Google guys didn't know what they had. Yahoo didn't know mm-hmm. the, what they had on their plate at that point in time. Right, no one right. knows the future. Yeah. And so you have a lot more control over it than you think, but you do need some, some pieces of luck. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you ever run into that yourself? Uh, oh yeah, multiple times throughout. Like <laughs> the one thing that I've learned through my life is basically you you set out a goal and you set out to achieve it, but be relaxed around the way it happens because you can't mm-hmm. control all the events along the way. Mm-hmm. You know, and and my most of my experiences have still so far been in medicine, right? But I I ha- I I had mapped out a very particular way. I was going to go to this school for this particular training. Then I was going to move to this location for this, right? None of what I thought actually happened. <laughs> but yeah. but what ended up happening was that I at every um, I still made the best out of every situation, but they all ended up turning out to be the best case scenarios for me because they opened up many doors to uh, opportunities that have been uh, phenomenal for me. And I've met all uh, some amazing people. And ultimately, even the journey that I'm on right now, it happened because of a series of events and series of people and, and, and things that led me to be placed in the area that I am. So, Hmm. you know, so, you know, again, some of it is luck, right, that, you know, you you end up uh, meeting a person or you end up uh, in a particular situation or, or opportunity comes up. But I think a lot of it is, letting go of any control around it you know Mm -hmm. just like control what you can but there are things that you might not be able to and you just kind of have to be malleable and Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's been my experience so far managed chaos (laughs) managed chaos exactly i've learned to do it very well (laughs) Mm -hmm. um so i i guess you know what was the hardest lesson i would say that you learned along the way like the hardest one that you you feel i mean like you said you you find something good out of even those bad situations but what really um would you say um was the most important well well i mean it's always hard to pick the most important Mm -hmm. because you Mm -hmm. end up learning so much um Mm -hmm. 
And so uh, <clears throat> I think early on with that, with that it was a me- that medical application, med tech, you know, was, was about mm-hmm. you know, depending on yourself, you know, so mm-hmm. I've always, I've always invested in myself, essentially, in my ability to, you know, uh, drive toward some success. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I think I've been fairly good at managing stress because you do have to do that. Um, mm-hmm. And so you have to be conscious of that and that uh, balance between work and family, because I've always, you know, I was, uh, you know, started my businesses with, you know, I sometimes joke I had to start a company because I had five children. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and then looking back when people ask me, well, how did work change for you with COVID? It's like, well, I feel like the world caught up to me. Right. right. So I, uh, I started soft out of my house 25 years ago. And I put in a T1 line instead of getting a brick and mortar office, which was a $2,500 a month line. It was the highest speed you could get in the AOL days. I think it was 1.44 megabits or something like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, I set up a real home office with computers and desks, you know, 10, 10 computers, a server, a T1 line, you know, it was, it was, wasn't a corner or a bedroom of my, of my house, but, um, <clears throat> you know, I ran the company out of the house. We homeschooled our five kids, right? Okay, yeah. This is all 25 yeah. years ago, but we were, we were, you know, somewhat of a bit of freaks back then because no one was doing that. And, yeah. um, and then also if you answered the phone, if the dog barked or the kid cried, they'd be like, are you a, at home? Are you, <laughs> are you a real business? You know, yeah. are you now at least the right stigma of it has been removed and they'll, yeah. oh, there's your kid, your dog, your cat, how cute, but yeah. I remember thinking like, wow, I've got a $2 million deal on $3 million deal on the table, like with Disney. And like, what if they come out and audit me? I'm just a dude in my house. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I had partners. I had like my battery design guy in Portland and my manufacturer in Taiwan. And I had my CAD cam guy in Seattle. And I had, you know, um, people in Houston helping me, you know, it was basically how I was doing projects back then. Mm -hmm. But uh, so at least the stigma has been removed. But for for lesson wise, I don't know. There's so many of them. Um, uh, I I would say if I if I was looking back at the moment, like one thing I think I missed that I've that I've hopefully corrected now is is culture. Um, Mm -hmm. And this has been a big thing in the last four or five years for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. But 25 years ago, I didn't really think about. trying to define culture. I thought it was something that more or less you modeled and it happened, you know? Right. And so really, you know, um, taking some time now with soft tech, even after 25 years to, um, you know, define our mission and vision and values. And, you know, in fact, we just released our very first techie handbook, uh, for the company and right. <clears throat> really trying to be more deliberate about, mm. you know, how we go about building the culture and, um, which has been even more of a challenge given that we're in so many countries, right? Yeah, so I was about to say, yeah, how do you how do you unite all of that together and um, what was your strategy? Yeah, well, I mean, I think in soft tech, I, you know, over the 25 years, there's been different periods of time where my approach has been different with the company. First 10 years, I was trying not to really grow it that much. I would call it more of a lifestyle business where I worked from home, I was close to my kids, I could come out and have lunch or I'd be there in the evenings and do the bedtime routines, you know, wrestle and have dinner and do bath and bed and story. Right. You know, and mm-hmm. so, um, uh, and, and so for 10 years I did that, then I got a real office, real office and started mm-hmm. to try to scale it. 
-hmm. and then quickly determined that people didn't want to pay U.S. rates for what I was doing. And I needed to have an offshore component to reduce my rates because they're like, well, why should we pay you 50 bucks an hour? I can get it for 25 in India. Right, right. right yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is why we ended up in um, Eastern Europe uh, mm -hmm. and <clears throat> went there and started a business as another mm -hmm. challenge. Right. You know, I'm always up sure. for a complex task. So <laughs> going to a country in Eastern Europe where the language is Russian and not, you know, uh, uh, English and figuring out how do I start a business? How do I get it set up? How do I do taxes? How do I do payroll? How do I do hiring? Mm -hmm. How do I convince people to quit their paying job and come join this American who's here, who doesn't have a physical office and no, they don't have a brand name yet, right? You know, <laughs> like, how do you get someone to quit their job in that case, right? Yeah, and so yeah. fortunately succeeded in doing all of that and, and, and actually grew that part of the business up to 300 people. And, and now, mm -hmm. now, now we're in uh, Lithuania, we're in Germany, we're in mm -hmm. Poland, we're in Georgia, we're in multiple countries in Europe, and then we're scaling now in, in Latin America. So we're still mm -hmm. doing it. Um, so, uh, but yeah, there's individual cultures with the countries and, but there is always a unique culture within your own company. Um, mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, you, you do have to uh, curate that. And, and I did struggle actually with what is my mission? What, what do, why do I have an outsourcing company? Because I, mm. I kind of backed into it in a way due to my own interests of like those technical projects. Mm. Um, but I didn't wake up one morning and think, you know what? The world needs another outsourcing company, right? right, you know? right so yeah. it took me a while to figure out what I wanted to do with soft tech. And that's why I say like, you know, the, the second period of time I grew the company and then had a partial exit where I sold half of it to a large Korean conglomerate, which was one of the results of that losing the business. Mm -hmm. That first time I actually got a new client, grew the team, sold it to them, and then ran that business for them for five years. And that wouldn't mm -hmm. have happened if I hadn't lost that customer. The right? other customer. So <laughs> right. It ended up as a good thing, but then I yeah. felt, you know, uh, my mission wasn't done with soft tech. So I, I kept the business and then now gone through the third period of growth where it's more deliberate on what we're trying to do. And then mm -hmm. I've, I've finally come to the, our model of combining a venture fund with a venture studio and a services model. So fund plus vent uh, studio plus services mm -hmm. where we're bolting on our engineers. We're not outsourcers, right? We're actually have an engine, a full stack engine where we can do product development which we've been doing for 25 years for the big guys like the HPs and Verizons and Epsons of the world, but mm -hmm. they come to us to do new innovative projects. So why can't we offer that same thing to startups right. that can't go and hire, you know, five engineers that are mm -hmm. already being used to being paid 350 K a year by Amazon and Google and everything else. Right. Mm -hmm. So right. leverage the world's resources to do that. So um, I think you just have to, again, just create your own culture and no matter where you are, although be sensitive to the differences, right? So like mm -hmm. other countries don't maybe have that gung-ho US American entrepreneurial spirit. Right. And they mm -hmm. tend to be very conservative in how they go about things. And so you yeah. kind of have to educate and um, <clears throat> get them on board with, you know, who you are as a business and then tend to hire people that are more aligned with that rather than maybe their own more traditional, you know, work environment and, mm -hmm. um, and then celebrate to those differences. One of the cool things recently, I was just reading a whole list where the, uh, the team in Lithuania was explaining this holiday that I've never heard of before, where they celebrate on the, the first day of summer or the shortest day of the year. 
and and all of their family experiences and how they go out and do bonfires and how they hunt for like uh uh like a a, a red fern flower or something i've never heard mm-hmm. of a holiday like that and so yeah. it's yeah. really enriching to learn more about um all of those different cultures and i didn't have a passport until i was 40 right so oh really you never i did not travel i was home i was with my kids you know uh-huh. and, and and you know travel within the united states but there's so many things to yeah. see and do you don't have to and my family right. was not international travelers but okay you know uh i guess that was another point in my journey where i'm like okay yeah i want to do this and so yeah. let's go to hong kong let's go to china right let's mm-hmm. go try to start a company in uh, a foreign land you know right right <laughs> let's take another challenging route right? yeah, yeah exactly so, yeah, yeah. this add to the complexity right exactly exactly mm-hmm. well it keeps life interesting right uh, mm-hmm. so yeah so then you know if um if you know someone's starting a company right now what mm-hmm. would be uh three pieces of advice you would give them like mm-hmm. what what are things to think about if you're you've got a great idea you're inspired you're you're you're, you're building uh maybe a small team, but what are, what are three uh, pieces of advice you'd give? <laughs> three pieces. Okay. Mm-hmm. Put me on the hot seat. There's <laughs> <laughs> probably about 30 pieces, but there's 30 uh, pieces. But <laughs> well, I mean, I think that it's a really great time to start a business. I mean, if mm-hmm. you're, if anyone is in the audience, that's even thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, e- even if the fact that, you know, if, if we're actually heading into a recession or not, because mm-hmm. sometimes that's where some of the best startups are actually built is during a recession Mm-hmm. reason why I say it's a great time to start is that there's so much that you can leverage. And so I'd say one piece of advice is look around and see what you can get to help you run your business without um, having to invest a mm-hmm. lot of money. I mean, back, right. back when I was starting businesses, you had to set up your own servers, you had to buy your own hardware, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, there was limited amount of software to use and there weren't any startup development organizations like our venture studio and so um, <clears throat> there was nothing except for like the, uh, something called SCORE, which I think they're still around. It's a society of retired entrepreneurs or engineers or something. And so I'm like, well, what do these guys know about starting a tech business, you know, yeah. 25 years ago? <laughs> yeah. And then that's it. And in Houston now, there's like over 30 startup development organizations. And some mm-hmm. of them, they all do different things, right? Some of mm-hmm. them take equity, some of them don't. Some of them help with fundraising, some of them don't. Some of them offer engineering services like we do, some of them don't. Most of them actually don't offer engineering services. So I'd say, first mm-hmm. of all, just, just assess what you can get you know, now. And it's so much cheaper to set up things like on AWS and web services and mobile development. Um, the second thing I'd say is, uh, <clears throat> A mistake that that founders typically make is they want to build version 3.0 of a product, right? So they mm. want to they want to add a lot of features. They want to spend a lot of time developing. They think they know the product and what it needs to have. When really, what you need to do is really whittle that down to a POC or an MVP. Just what's the minimum thing you need to do? You want to build version 1.0 mm-hmm. before you build 3.0 because once you build it and release it and you get the feedback, you're going to find out what you know, you don't know yet, you know, what mm-hmm. you think is important might not be important to the user and right. you might have to pivot based on that information or adjust to it. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a feature that they're saying, yeah, no, I don't care about that at all. I care about X, Y, Z, right. Mm-hmm. And this is what mm-hmm. I would need you to do. Um, mm-hmm. And so you want to, you want to get to that point and then you want to go to where your users are and get that feedback. Mm-hmm. One of the things that happened in Airbnb's early days is um, they're talking to an investor and they're trying, they're struggling to get going. And 
And they're like, well, where are your customers? And these guys are out in California, right? So where are mm -hmm. your customers? Well, most of our most of our Airbnb customers are in New York. And uh, the investor goes, well, why are you here? Yeah. <laughs> you need yeah. to get out there. Right. You yeah. know? And so they actually, the two founders actually went there and they realized that a lot of these um, um, <clears throat> hosts had trouble creating nice interfaces or even photos for their places. And so they actually went there and they took their camera and they were like the photographers and offered to do the photos for free if they could mm -hmm. come out there and meet with them. And then they learned all kinds of things about how the hosts were working and how they were, you know, what they needed. And so, you know, that's definitely the second thing. Um, <clears throat> and then third, you don't always need to raise a lot of capital, especially in the beginning, like venture isn't for everybody. And there's a reason why people um, or venture, you know, only some companies raise venture because the venture capitalists are generally looking for those unicorns. They're looking for, right. you know, every bet they need to say, well, we need every bet to be something that pays off the whole entire fund because mm -hmm. they're only going to get one or two of those out of the 10. Right. You mm -hmm. know, and so they're trying to make, you know, educated choices um, to do that. Um, but they, um, <clears throat> so, you know, if you can get things built, um, just with like what you have or what you can get from friends and family and then get something built that you can get the feedback from and then maybe decide whether you can get additional additional funding. You know, Amazon started with, I think about, I thought about 20, if I remember right, about 20 people each put about 25K in or something like that is what he did his yeah. round in. And so yeah. um, I, I wish I had been around it back then and had enough money, right? You know, <laughs> to be asked to put money into Amazon, but hindsight's uh, twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, that would be a, yeah. I mean, a definitely, I guess one of the one of the three things. Um, I think the, the the bonus though also is you know, there, first of all, there's no real work life balance when you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. So you shouldn't mm -hmm. expect it, but <clears throat> I would say you do need to carve off dedicated time. Mm -hmm. for yourself and for your family. So that's one thing that I always did was made sure that, you know, uh, I worked, but then when it came to be dinner time, you know, be present, right. Go mm -hmm. and take care of the kids while your, your wife or your husband finishes with dinner or makes dinner. So you can have mm -hmm. dinner and mm -hmm. family dinners and, and, and do the bed routine, bedtime story, be present for their activities. And then um, if you need to go back in at 10 o'clock at night and pull another couple of hours, well, that's when you do it, right? When you're sleeping, but it's really easy to skip over that part. And, uh, and then you turn around and they're, you know, graduating high school, right? And yeah, and then <laughs> um, you don't want to lose that part. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. Yeah, I think, uh, I think those are, um, especially that last one, I think um, balance is something that a lot of people don't do enough of. And mm -hmm. ultimately, it's it's one of the most important things for you to be successful in any of the uh, things you want to accomplish, whether it's your business or and, and also like your personal life, right? Everything has to have, uh, have, have a balance. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm, I just want to take a little turn here. And I, okay. I, I actually uh, interested, what areas of technology currently are particularly intriguing to you mm -hmm. right now yeah well for me it still goes back to my interests of um, you know the high tech stuff right mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. we're, we're, where we see we're trying to get more involved in um is is the ai and ml components because that mm -hmm. does hit all of the different areas all the way from the edge of the hardware to the cloud you know mm -hmm. so everyone's trying to build more ai on the edge and then and then do other 
other uh, <clears throat> AI uh, analysis on the cloud side. So whether mm -hmm. you're looking at like an IoT solution or a wearable or, or some of these other solutions, you end up with a lot of data. And then the, the challenge is how do you process that data? How do you how do you whittle it down into a manageable piece? You know, how do you use AI to identify the parts of the video that you really need to be looking at rather than just sitting there and watching all of it, right? Right, right. Um, so I, I'm excited by what's going on in AI and ML and then how it applies to med tech. That's uh, definitely still an area I think that has a lot of um, future growth um, mm -hmm. as we continue to figure out how technology can improve all of our lives. Mm -hmm. um, and we're seeing some really interesting startups um, <clears throat> in, in that space that are tackling solutions from anywhere from, you know, physical therapy to um, um, congestive heart failure, right? And mm -hmm. how, to, how to prevent readmissions and, mm -hmm. and things like that. So, mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, I, I do think robotics still has a long ways to go. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and that applies to whether it's EVs and self-driving cars to, and, you know, robotic applications. You're mm -hmm. starting to see <clears throat> companies innovate around you know, can we use a robot in a fast food restaurant, you know, do, or do we actually need all this manual labor? People mm -hmm. worry about robots replacing all the jobs. The robots are going to replace the jobs that generally suck, you know, I mean, right. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's, um, it, it, which means that everyone ba has to get, you know, in, in the mode of teaching themselves more higher skills, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, mm -hmm. if you, uh, if your skill is something that could be replaced by a robot or a self-driving car, then you probably do want to spend some time on something that, you know, can't be right. Whether that's right. programming or um, <clears throat> uh, something else of, of, of that nature. So, um, and uh, then, you know, IOT in general, you know, basically applying all that technology wearables, et cetera, to, mm -hmm. um, I think I've got three, three or four wearables on now, if I can. <laughs> so I'm over. You need, you, you need another one. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, how quickly do you think the robots are going to come for some of those jobs? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think the thing that's hard for us in the technology space is that, yeah. <clears throat> and, and me being an early adopter, I've been driving an electric vehicle for 12 years now. Right. right. Yeah. I remember you saying and that. You think yeah. like, oh, it's an overnight success or something now. But I mean, everyone thinks linearly and you think, yeah. well, wow, it's taken a really long time to get here over 10 years. But it, what actually happens is ex exponential growth, right? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, mm -hmm. over the next 10 years, you're just going to see this explosion and you're starting to see it now. Um, I remember when I had my uh, high-speed internet line in my house, and I had it for like a couple of years. I'm reading this article that talks about like 100,000 people in the United States have high-speed internet. I'm like, mm -hmm. that that can't possibly be true, right? right I was like, right. I, I, I've had it for years, but then it yeah. actually is true. And so mm -hmm. you just know you're in such an early adopter mm -hmm. phase. And so now you're seeing every single major car company is doing EVs. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, mm -hmm. um, this is where the tipping point is coming. Robotics. I mean, I, I, we're working with several ourselves, everything from robotic delivery to drones. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and those are, I think, considered to be robots, you know, mm -hmm. and then even robotic arms doing things like flipping burgers. Right. So, I mean, it's yeah. uh, uh, you're going to see more and more of that. And then the AI is going to get, you know, of course, on, on top of all of it. 
So do you, do you think that the greatest growth though in the technology sector will be more AI and ML? Um, mm -hmm. That's kind of the area it, it, over the next few years, right? The, yeah. Where do you think the greatest growth is going to be? Uh, it's hard to measure greatest. I mean, I think the technology is always about, you know, drinking from the fire hose, right? So mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> um, if you're in the technology space, you better be learning something new and what's next, right? So mm -hmm. my DOS programming skills aren't doing a lot for me right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you have to constantly learn the new thing, the new technology. Mm -hmm. iPhones didn't exist 10 years ago. What's mm -hmm. going to exist 10 years from now? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I think that definitely, uh, I, I, I definitely think we're going to figure out new new ways to apply the AI and ML uh, to, to everything. Mm -hmm. um, I do think that augmented reality is going to continue to grow. I think virtual reality, okay, maybe for Facebook and metaverse and gaming and stuff, but I, mm -hmm. I'm more excited about how, augmented reality helps us because you can have those, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, applications that can give you context about what you see and what's in your environment, um, mm -hmm. how to, you know, bring in even live third parties of like either in, whether it's a medical procedure or uh, you're trying to fix and repair some, some uh, part, you mm -hmm. know, or you've got a doctor that's a specialist in Ohio and in your, you're in New York. Well, why shouldn't the person in New York benefit from that person's expertise? And, you know, a tap of a button, they're mm -hmm. there. There's already ro robots. You've probably seen them. Maybe you've seen them in your work, but mm -hmm. uh, where they had the bedside robots, that they're real in and they bring in some expert that, that then does the queries of, you know, mm -hmm. talks to the patient and gets mm -hmm. a, does, does a, a bedside, you know, assessment, yeah, but he's yeah, not actually there. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah. and so um, it, I think that, that stuff's all going to really start happening. I think Apple is supposed to come out with their glasses in January. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to see what they're coming out. And as far as I understand it, it's going to be an augmented reality headset, not, no, not just a VR headset. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> you see Facebook really, I mean, quite, the Quest 2 headset is great. And, and I'm sure they've got the next one coming out because that's, that's like two years old. But, mm -hmm. you know, the fact you can slip, slap on a VR headset and use it no matter where you are, is pretty, uh, pretty wild. And then actually be able to, okay, I want to see the Aurora Borealis from my living yeah. room and standing right. there looking at it. I mean, yeah. I know it's not actual, actual, but I mean, it sure gets you pretty close rather yeah. than flying on a plane. Right. Right. Instead of never getting an opportunity to experience it, you know, yeah. and, and that may, cause that might not happen. Exactly. No, there's some exciting. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of exciting. Um, I mean, it's interesting, right. Because it just, it, whatever point in time there's always it, it, yeah technology is advancing and it's always exciting right but it just seems mm. like particularly right now it seems like there's just going to be explosive growths in so many areas and mm. and so it, it'll be interesting to see over the next few years um but uh um so one of the uh one of the last things i was uh, wanted to talk about was um this is more just about for yourself, right? Okay. If you were to uh, give yourself uh, three pieces of advice to your younger self, uh, <laughs> what would it be? Now looking back on all these years, right? Um, you know, if you now, what would you say? Uh, <laughs> well, Rosie, you're really asking me some tough questions today. Oh, sorry. I like it. I like it for okay. Friday. Uh, yeah, no, good, good questions. What would I give? What would I tell my younger self? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> well, I think that one piece of advice that I would give would be to think bigger. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I mean, I think you have, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I have, so it's yeah. curious for me to say that, but I mean, uh-huh. I can, looking back, I, I see in, in a lot of areas where I, you know, didn't, didn't maybe, I, I could have sh- maybe done more faster just by um, kind of thinking bigger about what, what could actually be done or accomplished. Um, well, definitely on the investment front, I think one mistake I made that I'd tell my younger self is that um, I, uh, and, and maybe it's not quite uh, entrepreneurial, but mm-hmm. was just to, uh, I always had the feeling that I had to invest a lot of money into securities in order for it to really matter. And so I never did. I always put it in my own business. And so mm-hmm. I think a lot of founders, of course, it makes a lot of sense to invest in yourself, but, mm-hmm. um, and that has certainly worked out well for me, but uh, I I could have put some money more into like some of the ones that I knew were coming up like Google. I remember talking about Google. I remember missing out on Microsoft and thought, you know, I'm not going to miss out on Google. Like I missed out on Microsoft. And then when they went public, thought, Oh, well, that's still too expensive. It's like $45 a share. And I mm-hmm. didn't put any money in. I think nowadays, given the number of platforms you have where you can buy a security on your app and just buy a touch of a button and buy a share or two or 10 or a hundred, Back in my day, you had to have a broker. You had to put money into a brokerage account. The guy had to do the trade for you, and they mm-hmm. didn't want to talk to you unless you had a hundred grand to invest anyway, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I would say nowadays, you know, you can diversify a little bit, and mm-hmm. you know, um, and, the, and it doesn't have to be a, a huge amount of money, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and this can pay off pretty well for you in the longer term. <clears throat> but um, let's see, third third piece of advice to myself. Uh, man, I don't know. I'm not the, I'm not the noodle on that one for a while. <laughs> so then when I get that time machine built, you know, I've, 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 I've had my team working on a time machine uh, for a while now. <laughs> like, where is it? I need more time. What about you? What would you, uh, do you have three things you, you did, you'd advise yourself or one, you want to give me my number three, <laughs> you can have my number three one. I think for me, like, just looking back at my life, I'll, uh, one of them would be, um, you don't always have to take the path of most resistance, you yeah. know? And so that's probably what I would, uh, uh, that's probably what I would tell myself. Right. So mm. I think I sometimes made things harder for myself than they needed to be. Now that's mm. for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah. That's true. Although it seems like in my own life, I've always had the, yeah, I have, I've always chosen more of the complex path. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. But, uh. Well, the thing is, it's interesting because I seem to have always done that too, right? And, but if I look back at it, I probably could have done things in a way that might have yielded the same result, but probably not all the other noise that got added to uh, the situation. So uh, th- th- that's all. But I mean, it's not, it's like one of those things, again, like you can't always foresee, you know, what's happening yeah. at the time, but. So. Yeah. I mean, I would say, uh, yeah. So, so just to t- tie it out, my number three thing would be to try to work a little harder on finding my tribe, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. because I, um, I was a solo entrepreneur. I never had co-founders. I was always kind of creating my own reality and, and didn't really have a lot of base to draw on because I never, I, I said that I never had a real job. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> especially nowadays, I mean, there's just, so many ways you can com- connect with mentors and and other you know entrepreneurs and potential um, uh, uh, 
people you can learn from, whether that's on LinkedIn or whether it's at all these startup development organizations, you know, where I didn't really know any people say, well, you must know a lot of, you know, co-founders in Houston. And I used to say, well, no, I don't. I've had my head down. I'm building my own business. Where do I find them? Right. And now you can find them like every day of the week, there's something going on. Right. I mean, I mean, I wasn't in Silicon Valley either. Right. I'm just here in Houston and Texas. And that has changed now, finally. But there's really no no excuse now for not getting out there, taking advantage of those organizations, finding mentors that have been there and done that before and that can help Mm -hmm. you connect the dots. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I don't know what I would have done 35 years ago because there weren't the same opportunities to do something like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I don't, my younger self might still say like, what, 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 where, <laughs> where exactly. But I feel like, what are you talking about? <laughs> when, yeah. you, when you make, when you make that time machine, go back and see, yeah. see what you would say at that point. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, short of moving to like Silicon Valley, which is what everybody did. Right. Yeah. I mean, I didn't want to upend my family and do that, you know, and I think that was the right choice for me at the time, given you know my wife's family and our own family and circumstances and decided to stay here in Texas. But um, now now there's just so much more available. So given right. if, if my younger self was starting out now, that's definitely mm-hmm. what I would tell him to do. OK. You know? All right. Oh, okay. Well, that's great. Um, this has been a fun conversation. I've loved to, you know, hearing, uh, your journey and, uh, and your insights. And I think that it's going to be very uh, useful for, you know, uh, you know, all these young entrepreneurs and, and people who are just starting out, maybe not so young, but just starting out of business. <laughs> well, the average age is 45, right? Yeah. The average age of successful yeah. entrepreneurs, 45, not yeah. 25. Well, which is, yeah, I mean, great. definitely. Yeah. yeah, thank you, Rosie, for the opportunity to get in the Wayback Machine and have yeah. me thinking about yeah. my my own journey. Uh, you know, my last piece of advice to, to anyone starting on the journey is to, to enjoy the ride. You know, mm-hmm. put your arms up and enjoy it, no matter yeah. if it's up or down, you know. Right, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, uh, thank you so much, Chris. This has been uh, great. And uh, I'll look forward to chatting with you some other time. <laughs> on a Sounds good, Rosie. Okay. Have All a good right. weekend. You too. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. This show is produced by Carmel Sound Lab. And for more information, go to carmelsoundlab.com.